So El-Biruni is a, is a very famous author, and the chronology is a very famous work, probably the most famous and most important work ever on, on calendars and chronology. Many of you have heard me speak about Biruni and the chronology before. What I would like to do today in the very limited time is not to um, repeat everything I have to say about his biography and so forth, but to discuss the textual history of the chronology, and we'll be looking at it as a text which is not just written down once by El-Biruni in the year 1000 and then, shall we say, preserved forever in that form, but as an organic text, a text which changes, which, change, which the author himself changes and which later um, scribes or editors have changed. And I'm going to illustrate this with just a very few examples. You have a handout, I, I hope. Uh, <clears throat> I'd like very briefly to um, mention the principal manuscripts. Uh, the first one on your table, B, is an Istanbul Beyazit collection. It is a complete manuscript, and it is the oldest and best manuscript. It is not dated as such, but at the bottom of the last page, which you see here on the right-hand image, there are two reader's notes, the older of which records that a certain person copied from it, Nasaha Minhu, in Ramadan 603, which works out as 1207. So this is the terminus adquem for the Bayazid manuscript. And um, would I th it's the handwriting and so forth is consistent with the idea that it was copied in the middle of the 12th century. The second oldest is M, the Asiatic Museum in St. Petersburg. This is a manuscript is dated the equivalent of 1219, so a couple of decades after the uh, last possible date for Bayazid. It is incomplete. Perhaps a quarter of the text is missing. The third oldest is Edinburgh Manuscript, which is dated 1307-8. It again has lost a lot of pages, perhaps a quarter or a fifth of the whole text is missing. It has pictures, and it is the indirect, it's indirectly, it is the basis for Zachau's edition of 1878, which um, he didn't have access to the Edinburgh Manuscript, but he had three copies that were copied from it. So. The Passages that are missing in Edinburgh are also missing in Zahar's edition. The uh, N, Istanbul Nuru Osmaniye, um, is a very short, less, less than half of the whole text. Um, at the very end, there's an effaced note with a number, possibly a date, 797, which would be equivalent to 1394 or 5. S, Sarai, Istanbul, Topkapis um, Sarai. This again has a, no, a owner's note dated the equivalent of 1410. This manuscript is obviously copied from Bayazid, so I have not taken it into consideration as an independent witness. And the last one that I want to talk about in a little bit more detail is Ayasofia 2947. We have a date for this, it's 839, equivalent to 1435 to 6. And um, it is very close to the St. Petersburg manuscript. I think it is probably copied from it, but it is important as a witness because it is complete, whereas the Petersburg manuscript has lost several of its pages. This is the last page of the 
Hagia Sophia manuscript. So here's the, the end of the text. And after that, we have this note. And the note um, says that, it, that this is a text that was found on the last page of the archetype. And the gist of it, the, the first word of it is which I think in this context means I consulted with someone, I studied with someone. So one, so one of the two people is saying that he, um, that he and someone else studied this manuscript together and that they corrected the text of this book, meaning the chronology, and in particular, they rectified the calculation of the tables, and they rectified the spelling of most of the, as he says, Greek, Syriac, Hebrew, and Persian names, and also adding glosses explaining the meanings of recondite words. All this at various times, the last of which was on the 23rd of Safa of the year 544, so 1149. So this is a... This was recording a collation of the manuscript that was made in 1149, which is a lot older, of course, than any of our manuscripts. Now, the author of this note is identified in the, uh, here as Ochaduddin Ahmad bin Muhammad, and he has a nisbeh, which I think should be vocalized as Asurri, or Ibn Asurri, which refers to the village of Sur in the vicinity of Rai, modern Tehran. Uh, this um, author, I think, can be identified with a high degree with certain, of certainty with a known author, the author of a number of extant writings on astronomy, mathematics, and medicine, among them an interesting treatise on the errors and copying mistakes in the star catalogue of, of Ptolemy's Almagest, which has been edited by Kunich, where, his name is, where the name is given exactly as here, Ahmad bin Muhammad bin Asuri. This person is also mentioned in the two Arabic biographical dictionaries devoted to scholars and physicians by Ibn al-Qifti and Ibn Abi Usaibiyah, both of whom give him the shukhra Ibn Nasalah. And Ibn al-Qifti says that he died in Damascus at the end of equivalent of 1153, so 548. So this puts it just his death just four years after the date of our note. So I would say that both the date and the names agree and that we can identify this person. The other person involved in the, in the consultation is identified as Abu Nasr al-Mu'ayyad bin Ali, whose name is preceded by a long list of honorifics of the type that indicate that he was an eminent member of the civil bureaucracy, perhaps a wazir or a senior secretary. Despite much effort, I have not as yet succeeded in, in finding any information about this person. Uh, so as such, the, this note reflects a situation well known to students of Arabic manuscripts. A pupil finds a teacher with whom to study a text. The pupil brings along his own copy of the book, reads it out to the master, and records his master's corrections and comments in the margins. Uh, when they've got to the end, the teacher will add a handwritten note on the last page of the pupil's copy, confirming that the pupil has studied the book with him. 
In this particular case, however, there is a difference that the pupil is a person of very high social status, so the teacher here, the mathematician and astronomer Ibn Suri, is in deference to his illustrious pupil, says not that the pupils have studied with him, but the two of them have read El-Biruni's chronology in consultation. And he indeed attributes the corrections that they made to the illustrious pupil, and I think we have to take this with a very large grain of salt. We know from, the, um, from, from, from his uh, book on the, on the star catalog that he was, in fact, very much interested in variant readings, what different manuscripts have to say in uh, correcting Greek and Syriac readings. So I think, obviously, we have to attribute these corrections to Ibn Asuri and not to his pupil. So this, um, and press ahead, uh, you have this on the back of your handout. This is my Stemma Codicum. Now, um, yeah, all of this has a reason, but I can't discuss the reason in detail. It's based on lots of correlations. I've divided it, the text, the manuscripts, into three families. So first, Alpha, which is represented really only by the best copy, by the Bayezid copy, from which the Sarai copy is uh, copied. Then the Beta family, which is represented only by the woefully in, uh, incomplete Nuru Osmaniye manuscript. And from beta, again, derives gamma, which uh, is represented by Edinburgh, St. Petersburg, and Hagia Sophia. And um, I'm suggesting that the archetype gamma is probably the manuscript that was corrected by Ibn Asuri and his pupils. Uh, so, for example, there are a very large number of passages where Bayezid has one reading and all the other manuscripts have a different meaning, and in most, though not all of these, the reading in B is manifestly superior. This means that all the other manuscripts have inherited a false reading from the archetype beta. But in some instances, Bayezid and Nuru Osmaniyah share a correct reading against the manuscripts of the family Gamma. This means that, these passages, that in these passages, the archetype Beta still had the correct meaning and that this has been corrupted in Gamma. And as I said, the archetype Gamma is very likely to be the old manuscript supposedly corrected by Ibn Suri in 1149. Now, um, in the time that I have, I'm only going to, there are, apart from individual variant readings, there are at least four interpolations in the manuscripts of the Gamma family. So texts that obviously do not go back to al-Biruni, but were added at some stage in the textual history. And I'm going to discuss only one of them. And this is, I think, of considerable calendrical and historical interest. At the chapter five of Zachal's edition is devoted to the nature of the months. Here, Al-Biruni gives a detailed description of about a dozen different calendars, in each case beginning with a list of the names of the months in the given calendar, followed by a description of how that calendar works. Is it lunar or solar? How many days are there in each month? Do they use intercalation? That sort of question. At the end of the chapter, which you see here on the right, he writes that he has not discussed the months of other nations, such as the Indians, the Chinese, the Tibetans, the Turks, the Khazars, the Abyssinians, and the Zenj, the black Africans, saying, although I have managed to learn the names of some of their months, because he did not want to mix certain knowledge with uncertain knowledge. 
Then uh, this is followed. This is the end of the chapter. This is followed by a table spread over two pages, preceded by a note which says that the author, where the author says explicitly that the table comprises the names of the months that have been mentioned in the preceding part of this book. So the table is expressly given as a summary of the chapter. Now, in Bayezid, the Codex Optimus, we have eight tables on the first page, uh, eight columns on the first page, and seven on the second. Uh, each column has at the top a short indication of when the year begins in each calendar, and below this, the names of the months. The columns on the first page enumerate reading from right to left, this. Uh, so, first of all, the Arabs in Islam, Al-Muharram, Safa, and so forth. Second column is the Arabs in the Jahiliya, uh, Mu'tamir, and so forth. These were, were mentioned yesterday by Yusuf. Until recently, they were really known only from literary texts, but now two of them have shown up in inscriptions, Safaitic inscriptions. <coughs> the third column are the months of the Thamud, one of the tribes of ancient Arabia. The next are the Jews, so you can see Tishti, Tishri, Markhashvan, Kesliv, and so forth. The next are the Persians, Farwadin Ma, Audibahesht Ma. The next are the ancient people of Sijistan or Sistan, which are not known from any other source. And the last two are the Sogdians and the Khoresmians, uh, which when this text was published were otherwise unknown, but have now been confirmed by text in Sogdian and Khoresmian. On the second page of the table, we have, again, reading from right to left, seven calendars. First, that of the Syrians. Uh, in other words, the Babylonian names of the Julian months, Tishrin al-Awwal, Tishrin al-Akhar, Kanun al-Awwal, and so forth. Then he has the what he calls the Roman months, the Rum, and these are, if you, if you can decipher the Arabic, the Latin names of the Julian months, so Novembrius, no, Januarius, Februarius, Martius, and the next, uh, which is called Eliunanion, the Greeks, these are in fact the, um, the, uh, um, the Macedonian month names, which we've encountered several times yesterday here, beginning with Ovulius. The next column are the Egyptians, El Kript, so here we have Tooth and so forth. The next is called El Magariba, the people of the West. And these are, in fact, the Julian months, again, in Latin, but in a, in a, in a lost, unknown, proto-Romance dialect. Mayu, Yuniu, these presumably used in, the, in, the, um, in North Africa, in the territory of the Vandals and the Visigoths. Yeah, and then the last two columns are surprising. We have the Indians and the Turks, although in the text here said that he doesn't know anything about the Indians and the Turks. The Indian column gives a reasonable transcription of the Sanskrit month names in the correct order and the correct statement that the year begins at about the time of the spring equinox. The Turkish column, however, says in the header, I have not, you can read in the very last column, I have not been able to ascertain how long these months are, nor when they begin, nor of what nature they are. 
The entries in the column are a reasonable representation of the names of the months in the old Turkish calendar, which had eight numbered months, first moon, second moon, etc., followed by two named months, the great moon and the little moon. But here, the order is completely jumbled. So after the great moon and the little moon, we have months one, two, six, five, eight, nine, ten, four, three, seven. These 15 columns are found in the same order in all the manuscripts of the chronology, so we must assume that they were present in the archetype Omega. El-Biruni himself gives a detailed description of the Indian calendar in his later book on India, with the names of the months, and they are described also in his book on astrology at Tafhim. It is possible, thus, that Biruni added the Indian column, and perhaps also this chaotic Turkic column, Turkish column, in the margins of his own master copy of the chronology, without taking the trouble to amend the passage in the text where he states that he has not included these two calendars in the book. Or they might have been added by some of his pupils, but in any case they were added before the branching off of beta and gamma, because they are in all manuscripts. If we just look very quickly at Nuru Osmania manuscript, it's very neatly written, we have exactly the same text and exactly the same layout of the table as in Bayezid. So we have eight columns on the first page and seven on the second page, again ending with the Indians and the Turks. On the other hand, the manuscripts of the Gamma family, that is Edinburgh and Hagia Sophia, so this section is missing in Petersburg manuscript, and consequently in the printed edition they have three additional columns. So here's the Edinburgh manuscript. On the recto, there are two additional columns at the right side of the table. This one, this one, which are labeled at least in the Edinburgh manuscript as the months of the people of Cuba and the months of the people of Bukharatak, and I'll discuss in a moment what these mean. And in addition, there's also one more additional um, on the yeah on the verso. There is also an additional column, namely the last one. No. The first one. So again, the additional column is on the right. And here, surprising, this is also the months of the Turks. So there are two Turkish columns here. This one, which is in all the manuscripts, and this one, which is only in the Gamma recension. In all three cases, we have no information, the text gives no information about the workings of any of these calendars. And they are unique to the manuscripts of the Gamma recension. I'll show them to you in Hagia Sophia in a, in a moment. The, um, as we said, the older Turkish column contains the numbered months, which we know the, the Turks really did use, like the Chinese, and the added column, the one on the right, yes, is a list of the Turkish names for the 12 terms of the Sino-Turkic animal cycle rat, ox, tiger, and so forth, which in turn is a renaming of the terms of the Chinese 12 branches. In Chinese and Central Asian traditions, the 12 months are most commonly used to designate the 12 terms, are most commonly used to designate the 12 years of a duodecimal cycle, but they can also be used to count months or days. The Chinese year, like most of those in Western Asia, is lunisolar, with 12 months in a common year and 13 in an embolismic year. 
but in counting the months according to the duodecimal cycle, the intercalated months are not taken into account. This means that in any one of the that in any one of the twelve calendar months will always have the same branch or animal assigned to it, regardless of whether we are dealing with a common year or an intercalated year. In this sense, it is not actually wrong to treat the uh, twelve animals as if they were the names of the months of any given year. Although, as far as I can see, no Turkish calendar actually used the animal months to count the animal cycle to count the months. Now, if we go back to the recto side, uh, yeah, the second column from the right on the recto side is labeled, at least in manuscript E, as the months of the people of Bukhara Tak, whatever that is supposed to mean. Uh, in the uh, Hagia Sophia manuscript, which we'll look at at the minute, it looks as though it says Nasar Bukht Tar Nasa, which looks like a corruption of the name of Nebuchadnezzar which uh, makes even less sense. These months have nothing to do with Bukhara or with Nebuchadnezzar, but as I demonstrated in an article back in 1998, they are a, the months of the month names of the Bactrians, which are known to us now from the recently discovered documents in the Bactrian language. So Bukhara Tak, in my opinion, is a misspelling of Tokharistan. So you have to put two dots on top of the first letter rather than one underneath. Tokharistan is the medieval name for the ancient land of Bactria, or something very similar. The readings of the individual months, which I reported on the basis of manuscript Edinburgh, can now be improved in some cases with the help of Hagia Sophia. The first column on the right, I hope we have just time to finish this. The first column on the right in Edinburgh and in Hagia Sophia lists the months of the people of Kuba. You see there's an ink spill on, in the Edinburgh manuscript, but it wasn't, but which must be recent because it's, correct, it's copied as Bukha in the, as, as uh, Kuba in the derived manuscripts from it. If we look now at Hagia Sophia, written very clearly as Kuba. Um, these names have, until now, not been explained satisfactorily. Zafar uh, equated Kuba with the city of Kuva in Fergana, which is mentioned in Arabic historical sources and still exists in Uzbekistan. But the names, um, uh, the Fergana was part of the Sogdian-speaking area, but the names listed here have no affinity with the Sogdian month names which, as we've already seen, are listed separately in these tables and are confirmed by documents in the Sogdian language, nor with those in any other Eastern Iranian language. Um, and my suggestion to, um, is, the, uh, is that these are, in fact, the months of the Kita, so that the first, uh, second letter should have two dots on top of it, and instead of one underneath. The, um, and, uh, yeah, so who are the Kita? The Kita spoke the, uh, were, were a nomadic uh, nation who um, spoke the Kitan language, or Titan in, Tidan in Chinese. They ruled a large part of northern China as the Liao dynasty from 916 to 1128, and were then dislodged by the Jin dynasty. 
After that, the remnants of the Kitan moved westwards into Sogdiana, where they ruled as the Karakhitai, or Western Liao, for nearly another century, from 1131 to 1211. The realm of the Karakhitai did, in fact, include the Fergana oasis, and thus the town of Kuba Kuba, and I played with the while that uh, played for a while with the idea that the people of Kuba are the Karakitai, but I abandoned this when I realized that Kuba is quite simply a mispointing of Kita, the name given to the Kitan in the older Arabic and Persian sources as opposed to Khitai with Kha and Ta in the later sources. The Kitan language is very imperfectly known. There are, however, a fair number of tombstones with inscriptions in Kitan using two different Chinese-based, partially syllabic, partially ideographic systems of writing. The decipherment of the Kitan scripts has engaged much discussion among a very small group of specialists. But since the available sources are mainly tombstones, which cite the date of the relevant person's death according to the Chinese calendrical system, the names of 11 of the 12 animals are actually relatively well attested. Now, I've uh, consulted the forms reconstructed by Daniel Kane in his highly respected book, The Kitan Language and Script, from 2009. And this revealed that the reconstructed Kitan forms are extremely close to those recorded in our table. This is an extreme, extremely good replica, actually, of the names. I've given them here in transliteration. Uh, so this is the Arabic script transliterated as it is in the Rumi uh, text, and this is how they are transcribed by Cain on the basis of Kitan syllabary. So we have at the big first month we don't have in Kitan, but we have it as a loan word in Mongolian: Hulurana, Uni, Kachas, Taulia, Lu, Muho, Mori, Yama, Po. Yeah, so I think you'll agree that this is extremely good representation <laughs> of these names. Now, we know from Muslim historical sources that an official delegation from the rulers of the Kitai, Jidai, uh, of the Kitai or Liao, and of the Uyghurs arrived in Ghazna during the reign of Mahmud. The most detailed Relevant information is found in the geographical section of the Taba'i al-Hayawan of al-Marwazi, who died not long after 1120, who quotes in Arabic translation the text of the letters from these two rulers, the Kitai and the Uyghur, in which they plead for an alliance with the Ghaznavids against their enemies in China. As it happened, the, en the embassy was not successful. The Kitai had requested to cement the, the um, alliance by marriage between the two royal families, and the um, Ghaznavids said, no, we're Muslims, we can't marry pagans. It, there is some uncertainty about the exact date. The, the date I won't uh, uh, necessarily discuss all this. The, the date um, is somewhere between 1027 and 1024, so 1024 and 1027. Uh, but the date must be approximately correct. Now, at the time in question, El-Biruni himself was in Ghazna. He was attached to the royal court, and in fact, in his mineralogy, 
he expressly says that he posed certain questions, I quote, to the ambassadors who came from the Khan of the Kitai. So in other words, he actually met these ambassadors himself. One could easily imagine that the great iconographer asked the envoys what names they used for their months, and that they replied with words to the effect that we Chinese do not actually have proper names for our months, but number them, or else we count them according to a duodecimal cycle using the names of 12 animals. Given the fact that El-Biruni tells us explicitly that he was in contact with the embassy from Kitan, it is very attractive to surmise that this list of Kitan month names for the 12 animals goes back to El-Biruni himself. They cannot have been listed in El-Biruni's original autograph since this was composed some 20-odd years before the arrival of the ambassadors, nor is it nor in the two early copies of the autograph that we have called Alpha and Beta. But El-Biruni might have written them into the margin of the master copy at a later date, whence they would have been inserted into manuscript gamma. Makes it a bit complicated, but I think possible. Of course, it's also possible that the redactor of Gamma, who might well have been Ibn Asuri, might have found them in some other work by El-Biruni's and copied them into the margin of the chronology. So there are various possibilities. In any case, the fact that the table uses the older form, Kita with Khaf and Ta, rather than the later Khitai with Kha and Ta, makes it more likely that this information passed to the Muslims during the time of the Liao Empire, that is before 1122, rather than from the Karakhitai in Transoxania after 1131, though perhaps the latter possibility cannot be ruled out entirely. The fact that the three additional columns are found only in Edinburgh and its offspring and Hagia Sophia does mean that the expanded table goes back to the archetype of the Gamma family, which, as I have suggested, is likely to have been the manuscript studied by Ibn Suri and his pupil Abu Nas in 1149, which gives us at least a terminus adquem for this textual interpolation. Yes, thank you for your attention. Thank you so much, um, and very much on time as well. So, um, any comments and uh, questions? What's the, in, the, in the corners here? What's that? What's Mongolian. in the corner? Mongolian. Yeah, Mongolian. Yeah, so this name is not, is not attested in the Kitai language, but it is attested in Mongolian, where some of the month names, about half of them, seem to have been borrowed from Kitai language. Did you have any idea of the affinities of the key? It's not, uh, the, the current thinking is that it's not connected genealogically with any other language family, mm. uh, but it has a lot of shared vocabulary with Mongolian, so it looks as though the Mongols borrowed from it. Mm. But we know very, very little about it. Yes, yes. But fortunately, we know this. We know the month, <laughs> the, the animal cycle. Yes, yes. And what we know from inscriptions and so on is very recent, so maybe more will be discovered. Yes, who knows? Show here, show here, because in one of my documents, which I will show in the next uh, speech, uh, I have a date uh, in the calendar of the Kitai 
Really? And uh, so I couldn't read the names, and uh, so <laughs> I left it out in my my translation. Mm. Um, so now I, I have. Yeah, we can look at that together. Yes. It's a later document. It's from the 14th century, but and uh, naively. And I, what does it have? Month names. I I suppose so. Uh, so th there are just um, I mean combination of letters which I couldn't make sense of. All right. Yeah. And uh, it's the Iskandar Sultan horoscope in the Welcome. Mm, yeah. I see. Yeah. So uh, and naively, I up to now I thought always that Khitani is Chinese, but this mm. is obviously not the case. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting. But as the Liao, they use Chinese as, as their. That's right. Language. Of course. Yes. 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 So, yes. so this has been published. I mean, you're told about it in Jota. This has been published. No. No. Could you show us the, um, or tell us at least about the other interpolations in the Gamma family? Yeah. There is a very interesting passage about the chess problem, which is a mathematical uh, problem. You, put, you have a chessboard of uh, 8 by 8 squares. You put one grain on the first, you double it on the second, you double again on the third. How many are there altogether? And that is an enormously big number. And uh, there's a, pas uh, a long passage in the, uh, the Gamma family manuscripts only describing how to solve this problem. It is missing in the other family, so it must be an interpolation. Possibly interpolated from, probably, I think, from one of Biruni's own works. Doesn't it appear also in the Persian Shahnameh, this story? Yeah, not, yeah, but not the mathematical solution to it. Yeah, and then there's also a table of the month of the festivals of the Christians and the Jews that is added at the end of the manuscript only in the Gamma family. Yeah, and then lots of little things and lots of variant readings, obviously. So the Gamma manuscript is, in a way, fuller, or the Gamma family is fuller because it has... Yes, exactly. It doesn't yeah. miss out things. Um, not as far as I've determined. No. I mean, there are individual, I mean, where, where they miss a word or miss a yes. line or something. Yes. Uh, yes. But yes, it doesn't seem to have been a bridge. No, it seems no. to have been expanded and... Yes. Improved. Yes, yes. And the addition we have so far by Zaka is only based on the Gamma family. That's right, yes. exactly. So yes. three copies made from the Edinburgh. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, when will your audition be? Yeah. <laughs> when it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> because we're dealing with the big work. With, with the English translation as well. Yes. Yes. Well, if there are no more um, questions, comments, um, thank you very much. Thank you.